if I'm covered mm. with a certain green hue, it's because I just transferred the pouch of AG1 into the new canister and it just creates this plume. There's no way to do it unless you had some sort of a vacuum system in your house. There's no way to transfer that pouch into the canister without this giant plume of green powder covering everything. There actually is a green, like your would be the left side of your SPAC screen is greener than, it must be the lighting. It's AG1 dust. I'm telling you. Now that you mention it, I'm noticing it. Yeah, it's a thing. It's impossible to do that transfer without just literally like it's covering. I can I can feel myself inhaling it. It is the finest dust known to known to man. It's like moon dust or something. Yes, I I have experienced this. Um, but anyways, I inhale it. I just I just whiff it in because it's all good for you. I'm getting my 75 vitamins, minerals, nutrients, as are you Cheers. right there. Cheers. Look, we love our AG1. It's a part of our healthy lifestyle. It's a daily uh, go-to for me. And um, it's part of my 75 medium rare that I'm doing, you know? How's it going? It's going good. Have you missed a day? No. That's insane. Well, what do you see? Let me, yeah. Well, you're wearing a black... Is that a turtleneck? Uh, it's got a... It's like a... Oh, okay. It's got the zip. I was going to say, it's a very Steve Jobs look that you got going today. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, black is slimming anyway. So I couldn't tell if it was just the color or your, or your 75 medium rare. 75 medium rare. It seems I'm very pleased with the uh, result. I've lost weight. I'm stronger. And just working out twice a day, uh, sometimes once a day, I got to admit, it's medium rare. Sometimes I miss my second workout but uh for the most part it's been a uh, powerful adjustment to my life is there a way to maintain it in perpetuity well i, I think 75 hards asking a bit much in perpetuity i think the thing is is that what you do is you get into a habit you get into habits and you feel so good about working out twice a day that it's easy to just work out once a day yeah. and <clears throat> maintain, you know, a healthy diet, a thoughtful diet, um, a gallon of water every day. A gallon of water is actually the hardest thing. I think I've told you that, but, mm. um, you know, so it's more about kind of kicking into gear, uh, mm. a set of lifestyle changes that become the new normal. Yeah. And I, the other thing I think is you alluded to it is once you see the benefits and you feel better, then it doesn't feel like a chore. You want to do it. You know, there's no discipline required at that point. It's just, you actually want the better lifestyle. And AG1 is a part of it. Yeah. Oh. A AG1 makes it simple. I mean, it fuels the lifestyle, right? And there's a lot of ways to fuel it. And they usually require you making multiple trips to the grocery store, buying a bunch of supplements, taking a bunch of different things. They're hard on the stomach, all that. And so this is just easier. It's less planning. It's less food prep, all of that. So one pouch shows up at your door once a month. You add one scoop of powder to the water, mix it, and boom, 20 seconds, done. Boom. We're powering it right now. Athleticgreens.com slash surf is our portal. Go there, read up on it. So don't take our word for it. 
for it, but you get a 60 day money back guarantee if you don't love it, which nobody's ever actually exercised, but athleticgreens.com slash surf is where you go. And if you need surfboards, surf gear, board bags, anything at all, you go to realwatersports.com. Well, look, part of the 75 hard is because I'm going on a surf trip and I'm, I'm gearing up. I need to get into shape. And so, you know, there's going to be some items I need. I'm going to need leashes. I'm going to need fins. I need a board bag, by the yeah. way. Uh, I'm probably going to need like a new vest, maybe a rashy, maybe some Florence Marine X. And all of that stuff is accessible at Real Water Sports online. I can just go online right now, place my order, and bada bing, it's at my One. doorstep one-stop shop. <clears throat> and I got a listener uh, DM the other day that maybe you can help chime in on. He sent me a screenshot of his recent purchase from Real Water Sports. It was, he hasn't even received the board yet. He just sent the screenshot. I think he just clicked purchase and he was excited. He goes, here's the deal. Super psyched to have this board show up. How do I hide it from my wife? How do I get it into the house without my wife knowing? And that's where I thought Scott Bass would be able to chime in on this one. Well, what you do is you hide it in a massive bouquet of roses, like the size of a surfboard that, that comes in. And um, she's so busy pruning and putting those roses into various vases that uh, you slide in. Of course, the, the obvious one is you, all your boards should be the same color. So that um, they just get camouflaged and one becomes the other and no one ever notices. Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. See, his, it's a yellow, it's a lost something or another, like a kind of round nose lost. And, uh, but it's yellow. And I'm like, dude, that thing's a highlighter. You're literally highlighting the purchase. <laughs> like, I don't know. You might need offsite storage at this point. That's where you got to. Well, look, the, the real answer is honesty. You got to be honest mm, with mm. your spouse and just be upfront and don't create future drama. I never considered that. Yeah. Interest, that's, interesting. That's, that's advice for you too, my friend. But regardless <laughs> of that, where you can get honest deals on great equipment and soft goods, realwatersports.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy, David. It is spit. It's Tuesday. It is February 28th, and um, it's a cold Tuesday here in Southern California, and we're talking all things surf on the Spit Podcast. David, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning, Scott. And uh, it is cold. We've had, you mentioned it last week that there was a major storm coming. It's been a, I think there's a couple of storms. Actually, there's another one brewing, but um, what have you been doing? Are you guys, do you have surfable waves? Um, no, it's been tough. Here's the hardest thing. And we mentioned this a little bit and I, I hate to rehash it, but on the buoys right now, the water temperature in San Diego on the Torrey Pines buoy is 56.1 degrees. And the problem is that's not a 
uh, an upwelling event where, okay, yeah, some wind came in and stirred up the bottom and the cold stuff came to the top and it will get back to 59 or 60 in a couple of days. It's been 56.1 degrees for a week. And before that, it was 57.2. In other words, the cold water is here and it's not leaving because of an upwelling event. It's um, just really as cold, frankly, as I can remember it ever in my four decades of surfing here in Southern California, 56.1. There's a lot of listeners on the East Coast or elsewhere, maybe the UK, that are saying, what? That's warm. What are you, chicken? You're afraid of 56 degree water is the problem here? Yes, I'm afraid. My feet are afraid. My feet get numb and I can't wear booties. That's my, just my personal concern is that I can't. So so I like, I paddled out the other day. I knew I'm like, I'm not going to wear booties. I'll be good for 30 minutes. Mm. So I did that and it turns into more of an exercise, more of a, a hard 75, 75 hard, get some cardio in and just paddle around. I mean, yeah. it takes 15 minutes to get into a wetsuit. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good point. Man, getting old is rough. I'm feeling it too. I'm not making well, I've told you, a friend of mine said, look, don't ever surf in water that's colder than your age. That's a good point. And I think it's pretty wise, but it puts me at a disadvantage here. It does. You just have to design your life around that philosophy, which requires your own upwelling, your own uprooting. You know? <laughs> um have the waves been good though throughout the, I mean, obviously yeah, I mean, a look, ton of wind for the first couple of days, but yeah, the surf's actually been fun. Uh, there's been moments, um, but you know, along with the cold water is super cold air temps. I mean, yeah. it's been 42, 44 degrees in the mornings. And so uh, not for the faint of heart this winter, no. this winter has been colder than I can recall. And there's, I mean, the vast majority of winters, uh, I don't do early mornings anymore because of the baby that we have that time together, but for two decades plus for the vast majority of winters, the air is colder than the water, you know, in this time of year. So it's like, yeah, it's frigid to get out of your clothing and into your wetsuit, but getting into the water is the easy part because 58 degree water is warmer than 40 degree air. So, um, yeah. but that, that early morning change is what you're not looking forward to. I am looking forward to springtime. And to summertime. And um, at this point, yeah, let's get you know, a little warmer. The funny thing is, once it is spring and summer, I'm looking forward to fall and winter again. <laughs> like, I'm never happy in the season that it is. Well, here's only for the first problem. two weeks, I am. I love winter, but what I recall is 59 and 60 degree water temperature. Yeah, I know. And the difference between two degrees is like make or break it. It's yeah. make it or break it time. Cause like, you know, at that point you need booties and I can't wear booties. So blah, blah, blah. No one wants to hear me whine and whinge, but I'm whinging and whining a little bit. Make or break season two on Apple TV. Plus, oh my God. God. Um, I got listener feedback from last week. This listener wanted to chime in about uh, your and my discussion about the challenges of pricing surfboards. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's um, referring to, California gold surf auction conversation or Mike Delaney conversation about how boards are underpriced. But he yeah. says, Hey guys, just listen to the spit podcast and wanted to chime in on the challenges of pricing surfboards. It seems to me the main issue has to do with the user's relationship with the board. You see, there are no guarantees here. Even if you buy a board from a highly qualified and skilled craftsman, 
there is no guarantee that it's going to work for you or going to work as you imagined. The board may also suffer an untimely demise in heavier conditions or equally as worse be damaged in an overcrowded lineup. So as also, the more high performance a surfboard is, the more fragile it becomes. The moment you pick that board up, wax it and take it out in the lineup is the moment it loses its value. If you, uh, if it does not work as you imagined it, it's either going to sit in your garage or you will try to unload it secondhand. Either way, the value is immediately gone. And yes, surfboards are works of art and one of the last pieces of equipment that are made almost entirely by hand, but they do not grow or even maintain their value. Compare this to other handmade goods, artisan-type products such as furniture, guitars, or even paintings. Those items gain value over time, and they last for generations. They can also be considered an investment. Surfboard is not. Perhaps this viewpoint can be altered with alternative-type boards and boutique makers, but even then, that case, uh, some of the boards are beautiful pieces of craftsmanship, but they still might not surf great. Lastly, surfers are notoriously cheap bastards. So that affects what they're willing to pay for them. Cheers, RRR Reyes. What do you say, Scott? Um, well, he's right on. I mean, it, it brings up a couple of thoughts for me. One is, you know, the high performance shortboard it's hard to get it priced higher than where it's at now and feel good about it from a, as the consumer, because of what he mentioned in his email, like it's look, fragile, it's fragile. It loses value. Um, you know, it's good for six months. Now you jump into the next category and say like fishes or, or mid links, or of course, longboards. Now you can go with a slightly heavier glass job you can get a board that's built to last you know three four or five years um yeah. <clears throat> and you know because you're not trying to do you know so if you're like a you know a teenager or into your 20s or even into your early 30s and you're one of these really incredible high performance surfers that's putting a lot of wear and tear on your board you're you're not you're not really looking to give a guy twelve hundred dollars for a board you're like it's worth 600 bucks you know like yeah. that's kind of what it's worth because I'm going to be done with it in six months um, just based on the way you built it for me. You know, it's four ounce top and bottom and, you know, whatever, you know, it's light and ready to break. Now the carbon era sort of changes that a little bit. Like if you get one of these dark arts boards or the carbons that buy all this and, you know, there's different, there's different productions out there, but the, the carbon board is a light board that's strong, right? That's supposedly going to last you for a while. And uh, I believe that probably to be the case. Um, so there's that and you're going to pay hand over fist for, I mean, it's going to be a big upgrade in both quality. And in if there is such a thing as an upgrade in price, it's going to be an uptick in price. I've not, <clears throat> I've not ridden any of those boards, but, um, when I think of carbon, I think of stiffness, yes, strength, but also stiffness. And so is it, um, does it have a familiar flex pattern as a traditional construction or is it strictly stronger and stiffer? Well, I think again, and this gentleman's email speaks to this is that you could get a brand new board that cost you 1200 bucks and you just don't like it, you know? And, um, and that's part of the, the situation, you know, uh, 
I will say this, that this weekend in Cardiff at the San Alejo campgrounds is Camp Shred, right? Which is like the world's largest demo. And yeah. It's really a cool thing. And dark arts will be there. Like I would suggest if you're listening to this and you're in the area, go go get a dark arts board and try it out. I mean, they're giving you the opportunity to try this stuff before you make the purchase. And I think all of them will do that. And you don't even really need to go to Camp Shred. In fact, I know the dark arts guys, if you just email them or call them, they'll be like, dude, come grab a demo board. We got a a whole fleet of demos. And I've been to their little factory that they've got, um, you know, a wall with demos. So, you know, anybody that's offering to sell you an $800,000, $900,000 board that doesn't have a demo for you to ride, probably a good idea to take a pass unless it's somebody that you really trust or you know that you've had boards from them in the past. But, um, you know, so this guy's email speaks to a lot of truths, you know. Um, I think we get to a place, David, and you, every, all of us are different. You tell me where you're at. But, I mean, like $650, $700 for a poly clear. Um, you know, it's hard to go past that price point for me. Um, and be comfortable with it, knowing that it's really going to only last me six months if I put it through its paces. Now, a lot of this depends on where you surf. If you're on the North shore, you're really screwed. You're going to break a board tomorrow. <laughs> probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you're in mainland Mexico, one of the ma- massive beach breaks or in France, for instance, just a spot that has more power here in North San Diego County, or even in San Diego throughout, except for maybe a place like blacks, or some of the La Jolla reefs, you can make a poly shortboard clear last for a while. Cause me personally, I'm only going to ride mine, you know, three out of seven days of the week. And the other four days I might be on a longboard or on a fish or whatever, because the conditions just suggest. <clears throat> yeah. It's hard for me to relate to some of the conversation. I, or I have to, my, I have to think about the way that I viewed surfing when I was in my twenties so when, when I was in my twenties, I was only riding pointy thrusters. And, um, so yes, all of what you just said applies. <clears throat> and I think that segment of the market certainly still exists. And to me, it almost feels more like a commodity. Like it's just, I don't want to disparage anybody who's making those boards, but it's kind of like, it's hard to differentiate yourself in that market, N- name a brand and their version of that board is not that much different than another one of the top brands, you know? Well, it, it might, you're right. It, I think if you're at that top level of, of um, ability, you can probably make, no, you can notice differences, but you can notice that difference if you got seven Bioluses or if you got seven Sharp Eyes, if you're that good of a surfer, you know, you and I have seen Stab in the Dark and some of these things where like Mick Fanning's like, I can tell out of you know yeah seven dhds i like three of them the other four just take them away before i even wax them or what you know what i mean like these guys are so now you and i aren't that next level as far as our sensitivity to these board designs well yes that's all true but what i mean is uh even if i could define even if i could identify the subtle divine uh design differences and how they perform in the water the construction is so similar and the uh, length that they're going to last is so similar. So that becomes a commodity. And yeah, you might like Mazda better than you like Honda, or maybe you like Toyota, but at the $25,000 price point for kind of an economy car, that's going to last for, you know, like those are, it's just a a stylistic difference is the reason why you choose one car over the other. Yeah. Um, But 
So one is going to be priced 600, one is going to be priced 650, but there isn't going to be one that's 600 and one that's 1200 in that segment of the market because there's not a lot of differentiation other than just kind of what your brand affiliation is. And so, yeah, at that point, I was running a calculus for how much money does this cost? How many sessions do I get out of it? Where can I get the best deal? And that's going to get my money essentially. But I've grown past that. And now my quiver is not only more diverse, but I have a lot more boards in my quiver. And so when I buy a board, it lasts me now for years and years and years because I'm not writing it as frequently, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I used to just buy, like if I spent that 600 bucks, got that board, it was like, well, I'm riding this thing for the next two or three months into the ground. And I'm going to be saving money along the way to buy my next one and um, working in a restaurant, you know, like saving tips essentially. So now it's more like, I, I don't, worry about the construction and I am writing boards that have thicker lamination schedules and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I can justify spending double, you know, I can justify spending, I don't even ask the price. And then I get hit with the bill and it's 1200 bucks. And I'm like, well, that's worth it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's funny. I, I just posted a picture. Um, I don't know if I posted it, but I got a picture of me with my, uh, golden nugget surfboard my henson twinser i went over and visited funny story well maybe not funny but i went over to visit mike henson with that butch van art stalen hobie that he shaped for butch back in 62 yeah and i go to his house and he goes scott come here i want to show you something and he opens we go into his back little patio there and there's my henson twinser the golden nugget he henson's got it i'm like what and so um because i had left it at bings and mike had seen it and grabbed it from bings and brought it home and he scanned it and everything but point is is that i had that board i rode that board for six or seven years and i mean Crazy. i took that board to indo and i took it to hawaii like it was my go-to board and it was one of these um you know it's it's just not one of these high performance shortboards so it lasted for quite a bit until actually i rode it until it, it, it you know it, it deconstructed it just like kind of it got old and delaminated and all that but yeah. um i forget where i was going with that story but um, yeah the fishes last longer i guess <laughs> the, no i the mean boards I with the heavier i rode boards for a long period of time but i think what you were saying is right and a lot of it has to do with the demographic like when you and i were 20 guess what we had one i had one board i know i might have had two boards yeah you know what i mean like i might have had a seven six but i had basically a six one or whatever you know yep. That yeah. I rode 99.9% .9 of the time. And if I went wherever, I had a 7.6 in the garage or something. Yeah, And that has to do with when you're <clears throat> 18, 19, 20, 21, you don't have any money. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the demographic of surfers now, especially because of COVID, is like 30 to 50. And, it, and the same is true of golfing. I heard an interesting uh a true demographic from somebody within the industry in the golf industry and COVID much like surfing created all of these new enthusiasts, yeah. all of these aspiring golfers that are like 30 to 50 years old. And they don't know anything about the history of the sport. They don't know anything about the culture of the sport. They're just showing up with their, you know, their tennis shoes and, and they've all went out and purchased new golf clubs mm. But now that they own the golf clubs, much like the surfers in this COVID demographic, they went out and bought soft tops or they bought a longboard or they bought a fish or they bought whatever. They now own that thing. They're not necessarily going to go buy a new one, mm. but you know what they are buying in the golf space? 
golf balls. The mm-hmm. sale of golf balls has never been better. Like it's through the roof, the amount of golf balls. And guess what? Shitty golfers are losing golf balls all over the place and they got to re-up. They're not buying new golf clubs. And I think that's kind of true in the surf space. I think guys have purchased their two or three or four boards and they're kind of sitting on them and they're just going to ride those for a while. And most of those guys aren't really riding high performance, poly clear short boards. They're no. riding long boards and mid lengths and uh, so forth and so on. So I wonder if the equivalent for the golf balls is sticky bump sales are through the roof. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. What do you absolutely need? That's kind of a price point that you can afford that helps you get in the water. And I think wetsuits are probably, I think wetsuits are almost more important than a surfboard for that demographic. And we know, of course, I think fins could be maybe, although fins are pricey. And I, I, we know that wax, you know, wax and leashes are kind of like things that you need to have that you're willing to throw 12 bucks at, Yeah, you know? The wetsuit thing though, will at least last you one season. So those companies won't see those sales cycle through necessarily for two, three years. You know, it'll take a little while to kick in. Wax will kick in immediately all the time. Maybe leashes if they're breaking leashes. But have you ever tried? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the other thing I was going to think about is the, in terms of like how long the surfboard lasts, I feel like lamination has gotten better than when I was riding, when I was in my twenties, riding that one board all the time. I feel like I would delaminate more frequently than it does now. And I know I'm not, like I said, riding that same board all the time. And I'm also not surfing as much. Like back then I was surfing, you know, six days a week, sometimes two sessions a day or something like that. But like last year I got a Channel Islands uh, free scrubber. So it's not exactly a pointy thruster, but it is kind of that same construction. And I rode that thing exclusively for probably two or three months and it's still in tip top shape. Whereas that wouldn't have been the case when I was in my twenties that I can remember anyways. Yeah. It's interesting because when I think back to my twenties and I delammed a ton of boards and like within the first week of owning them, you know, um, and I think a lot of it has to do, and maybe some shapers can chime in here and give us some better insight. But back then, I mean, we I was getting Clark foam blanks and they weren't as close tolerance. So the yeah. shaper had to cut way down deep into the foam and it got way softer and it was easier to delaminate. And I now I think now, first of all, the foam's better. You get a US blanks, close tolerance blank for like a 510 fish and the shaper or the machine is only cutting in a very little bit. And the foam's just as strong a half inch down as it is at the top. Yeah. So I think some of that has to do with um, that, you know, that thing that you're mentioning, this sort of, um, you know, de- destruction of the surfboard in, in a much quicker fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything's got, well, I was thinking about leashes too. <clears throat> I don't break leashes. You know, like I used to go through leashes all the time, like every, I don't know, I'd have two or three leashes and I would need to replace them every three or four months or something like that. And now it's like, I don't go through leashes anymore. So I think that's gotten better too. Yeah. And you know, it, the water's been so cold that I've been wearing a leash when it's small and somebody even called me out there like, whoa, somebody goes, what are you? what are you putting on your leg? You know, like, cause I usually, I usually don't yeah. wear leashes and I'm not like the no leash guy. I'm just, I like the exercise. Like if I lose the board, I'm okay with swimming in the ice cream headaches when you swim in are through the roof. Mm. It's next level. Yeah. And, 
anyway, leashes, yes, they've gotten better. Let me ask you this, though. I wanted yeah. to ask you this. Regarding golf balls as a price point, and then you said, well, wax would be that sort of, um, uh, not metaphor, but the the, sim- the one that translates over to surfing. Um, have you ever tried this non-wax coating or no. stick that you put no. on a board? It's called Grip Delight. And one of my clients at the boardroom show um, sells it. And um, I'm f- kind of interested in it. You know, and it's not, I don't think it's like that gritty, like it's not going to tear up your wetsuit or tear up your knees. Uh, anyway, it's not a traction pad. No, it's not a traction pad. It's this deck decal that you put on your new board and you peel it off and it makes these bumps. And, um, you know, it's very small, but um, I have seen it at the grip, grip delight. Like you could Google it, grip delight. I think it, um, yeah, I've seen it at, at the boardroom show. Don't yeah. they come in kind of designs as well? Yes, I'm sure it does. I I, I wish I could speak to it a little bit uh, with more yeah. authority, but um, yeah, Casey I, is the guy who sells it, and I think they, I think that they sell them through Firewire too, and you can get it at any surf shop. Cryptolite. I've seen it, um, and but I don't use front. I've like I've equated it in my head kind of with front traction and I never use front traction either. So I don't know why I'm not opposed to it in any way. I just never, never um, implemented it. I'm just a wax guy all the way around. By the way, have you seen this Instagram feed that's called sad pads? It's the best. (laughs) I just, just turned on to it about a year ago and it maybe explain to the listeners what it is if they don't know. Well, you can, and you could Instagram it, it right now. It's just um, poorly placed traction pads on surfboards, basically. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So it's so funny that the title is Sad Pads. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's perfect. There'll be like a pad in the middle of a skip fry, you know, you're like, oh my God, that's blasphemy. Exactly. Like a board that certainly doesn't need a pad or just a, a back pad that was placed three feet from the tail of the surfboard you know and you're just yeah. like what who would stand there just yeah. ridiculous ridiculous stuff St- boards that have traction the entire way across from rail to rail nose to tail just yeah. really silly stuff that you're just like man who is that ignorant and dumb to do that you know and now i see that the big ways guys at jaws and other places are putting traction all the full length the way they used to do back in you know the late 80s when Barton yeah. Lynch would fully traction up his entire board and guys are doing that because they're like look I I'm not I, you know I'm not putting my life at, on the line here for maybe because I didn't wax my board this morning you know I know I can just count on this stuff I think Kylan he does it I think some other guys do it I think John John on his paddleboard like big wave paddle gun has done that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, the worst thing ever we are talking about going on a surf trip is de-waxing and re-waxing a board. Like if you're going from your cold water to warm water, I need to hire a roadie. Like I used to love that. No, land in Mexico. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing is it was one thing that you used to love to do. And now it's just the worst. And it's like, if I'm landing in Mexico or wherever it is, I'm in a hurry to surf. I'm in a hurry to unpack the bag. The last thing I want to do is scrub <laughs> wax. But I also don't have the opportunity if it's frigid here to 
de-wax a board because I want to lay, leave it out in the sun, you know, a little bit, soften it up and then do it. So I'm not going to do it here because it's too cold. And then once I get there, I just want to surf. So I need that roadie that I could just hire on hand, give them 20 bucks. And in 30 minutes, <laughs> when I unpack my bag, I'm ready to go. Nothing says privileged American surfer, like rolling into uh, some third world country and throwing some kid five bucks and going, hurry up. I said 20. <laughs> okay. Whatever. By the way, that's yes, privilege. I accept that. But also I'm stimulating the local economy. Like I'm giving jobs. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um yeah. talking about surfboards away. <laughs> talking about surfboards and uh vintage surfboards and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. There was a new series that just got launched on YouTube by one professional surfer that I thought you would love. Mm. Tanner Godowskis. Yeah. Did you did you see this video that he made? No. It's called Finders Keepers. Oh, and cool. I'm wondering I'm wondering how many episodes he claims it's going to be a series. I'm wondering how many episodes he'll actually come up with, but because this story just seemed so kind of uh unique, but ultimately mm-hmm. he said that he buys boards on Craigslist. He has over the years, he just peruses, sometimes he finds interesting things and he'll buy them. He found an original and unsurfed Michael Peterson. That's yeah. killer. And it, it was available in, I want to say, uh, North, North County, San Diego, not far from him. Really? Like, yeah. And he's like, what the heck is this? And it was priced at 1500 bucks. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, okay, it's not, he goes, it's not like out of control price, but it's the most I will have ever spent on a surfboard. Yeah. So he starts emailing back and forth with the guy. Turns out it's Tom survey that owns the board that who's selling it. And so um, Tanner's like, oh, you know, like, let's make this happen. I'll come by. So he films the whole interaction. And he actually goes to Bird's Surf Shed as well and talks to Bird about in advance, just about like, how do you price boards? How, what, you know, how how do you determine which ones are collectible, which ones aren't, blah, blah, blah. What goes into the value? Yeah. Have a really interesting conversation. And Bird is, um, it's interesting because Bird's philosophy is a little bit different than I would think well, I think everybody's philosophy is different for how you price boards. And so birds isn't the final word, but he's certainly an expert, certainly knows a ton. You certainly take him serious, but you know, it's not the final word essentially. Um, and so anyways, Tanner takes that information, goes, makes the transaction, but he's always, his plan was always, he's going to surf the board. You know, he's like, no question about it. I'm picking that thing up and then I'm riding it that day. And he does, he takes it down to lowers, they get a session in and um, then comes back, chats with birds some more, gets all of that feedback. But it was just a really, really, I really enjoyed it. It Gave tons of history. They were able to get some of the footage, the original like morning of the earth footage from the guys who remastered that recently Yeah, yeah, and incorporate that, get some real good information about MP and uh, yeah, it was epic. That's cool. I hope they, I hope Tanner continues to do that. That sounds great. And um, speaking of the Godowskis, did you see Pat Godowskis surfing that new Channel Island board on Instagram? There's no, some new model <laughs> Channel Island's putting out. Is it short and stubby? Yeah. It looks yeah, kind of like that. a round nose fish, maybe. I couldn't even see the outline of the board. I was just saw him ripping. Yeah. I saw he that. was, he was surfing incredible on that board. That board made me go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? I wanted one so, of the round pin twins. And now I want whatever that model is that CI is putting out that, that Pat well, Godowskis is creating. Cause that board looks spicy. Well, um, the thing is Dane Godowskis, I feel like we might've already touched on this. 
has come from behind to become my favorite Godowskis. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I, Tanner's great. Pat's great. They all surf great. Yeah. But Dane, in terms of like, he was the least, uh, the lowest profile, let's say, when they were all pursuing CT careers, right? But he developed an interest in all these other things. And so now whenever I see him, he's uh, writing something very interesting. He's surfing it incredibly well. Like when they put out that CI Pro, board last year the connor coffins board or parker coffins mm -hmm. board sorry um he was riding it but he was riding like a six foot seven one in hawaii so it was still a pointy thruster but it was just longer and it looked different you know and the way that he's riding it is just he's standing kind of more in the middle of the board but still doing these huge power turns and i'm like man that he just made that thing look entirely different than the tail blows that everybody else is doing on it but then he's also over the years working with Donald Brink a little bit and he was riding a four foot board from Donald Brink for a bit. And he was riding a 14 foot board from Donald Brink <laughs> and just everything in between. It's like he, the fact that he's experimenting with all that stuff uh, is radical. It's awesome. And he surfs it so well, you know? Well, I, I like the Godowskis vibe too. My favorite Godowskis is Tom Godowskis, the father. <clears throat> he's, he's a great guy, but they're all great guys. And, Pat was ripping on this new board and I'm Pat or Dane. Of, it was Pat Patrick. Oh, it was Pat. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I don't think I sense that Patrick isn't a big fan of mine because in the past on this show, I've sort of said, you know, I don't think whatever I said, I don't think he was surfing up to his potential or whatever. When on he was the on C the CT. Yeah. When he was on the CT. You think he listened to that? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> But um, I know you can check out that board at Camp Shred this weekend. By the way, I, mean, oh, I don't right. have anything to do with Camp Shred. It's actually kind of a, a kind of um, it's not a competitor of the boardroom show, but um, but I think what they do is a cool thing, and and a lot of my clients are down there, so I want people to go down there and check it out. And see, Channel Islands is one of them, and you should go down there and check out. Um, I think the Gadowskis brothers are going to be there is what I read on the Instagram account. Oh, sweet. And they'll, they'll have that new board there for people to ride. I don't know what the waves are going to be like. It's probably going to be butt cold as it has been. Um, and you know, it might be like two to three feet. I don't think there's any massive surf in the area, yeah. but that location's pretty good for two to three footers. So totally. Um, speaking of surfboards, no, well, Pat, not being a great fan of yours. Oh, let's talk about that little detail for a split second sure um, <laughs> because it's funny i over the years we've yeah. said something probably critical about everybody in the surf space you know i know i know from, for pro surfers to photographers to board builders and so i wonder and but the reality is nobody hears it right like is anybody <laughs> are they I mean, we sort of hope they do but we hope they don't and so i don't like, really want do them pros, to how do you proceed through life uh, or at the boardroom show and somebody approaches you with a certain look in their eye and you're like processing in your head. Did I say something negative about this person? Do they, did they listen? Or like, isn't that a weird thing? It kind of is. And what it comes down to is maybe we shouldn't be saying negative things about people, you know, I say critical, I, not negative. You're right. But they take it as negative, but even critical. It's like, I do struggle with this because first of all, you know, who am I to be sitting in judgment? And, you know, so I know you and I have parsed through this in the past, but it's kind of like, 
you know, it's like what I said the other day on this show. It's no one's going to remember the insight or the information that they gave that you gave them, but they're going to remember is how you made them feel, you know? And so by sitting in a place of and talking critically of people surfing, they're certainly not going to, it would be realistic, realistic to suggest that they're not going to be super stoked on how you made them feel. And Um, it's a tough space to be in. Yes. But I'm worried about how do we make our listeners feel that very good. Good point. You you know what I mean? Like ultimately I've had to assess this whole thing and I'm like, my only really uh, obligation and allegiance is to the listeners. And so discussing what's happening in the surf space with a critical eye or with any insights that we can glean any of that, that is what we're doing. And if somebody gets their feelings hurt about it, that's not really my fault. If they misunderstood. So then I have to be really careful of is what I'm saying critical and insightful, or is it just being negative, you know? And so I want to always, I want to always steer towards critical and insightful and all of that. And then if somebody gets their feelings hurt by that, that's not my problem. But additionally, I, do you want to be friends with these people? Like, do you want to be friends with the pro surfers and all these people? And if you do, then you're going to have to filter what you say. I'm at a stage in my life. Maybe when I don't I was even my, care. No, I don't care at all. Like when I was in my twenties, thirties, then I definitely probably cared and would have wanted to ingratiate myself into the surf industry the industry is kind of dilapidated at this point and we can operate on our own without them. And so do I want to be friends with them? Well, I, I got I, my friends. I got a lot of friends, you know, like I, I don't need, I, I, I don't even have time for the friends that I have. Exactly. But, exactly. but my, but it's not necessarily the question isn't, do I want to be friends with them? The question is, um, you know, is it the kind and tolerant and loving thing to do and, and it, the answer is it no it's not but what you and i are doing is being when we're critical it's because these guys have put themselves in the in the space as professional surfers and it's our job uh, not to attack them personally but to offer some insight into the, the way we see what it is that they're putting out there and if there's a pro surfer on the CT, and in my opinion, he's not li- living up to the expectations of the end user consumer, you and I are going to talk about it. And it's not a personal attack. Yeah. What it is, we hope, is an opportunity to inspire them to do better or um, you know, maybe to look inwardly. But I mean, certainly the same could be said of us as podcasters. Like, you know, Scott stumbles over his words. He can barely get uh, thoughts out effectively. And, um, he wipes his nose all the time, you know, like there's a million things you could say about us too. I will say this about specifically about Pat Godowskis is that the reason I don't think he's a big fan of mine is I was at a SEMA Waterman's ball thing. Did I tell you this already? No, this was a while ago. This was like eight years ago Okay, or maybe more, but he was, and I've been on surf trips with Pat. I've been on at least two surf trips where we're on a boat together for two weeks and we're good. We're, we're watching the Sopranos together. We're tight. Right. We're surfing together. And I saw him at this thing and we were literally like, you know, I was, I was as close to him as, you know, he was like right there and he wouldn't, he was scowling and he wouldn't look at me. And it was quite obvious that he was like, not in a good way. And, and was, was like, that, oh, man, did you connect the dots? I, we discussed something on air yeah, like the week prior. Yeah, because oh, yes, 
Okay. Because I have, you know, I had been critical of his yeah, surfing yeah. on the CT as you had been, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and frankly, as his results showed. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's not like, a, you know, well, it's tough to hear it in that moment when he is um, struggling to requalify or, or he just lost an important heat or whatever, then to hear it and then yeah. see you, then that does become is a tough moment for him to actually hear that information. Um, I had a similar situation with Kelly Slater. Uh Oh, I know. Uh, it was in Australia and at an event and, uh, I was Nick Carroll was the common denominator between us. So I was hanging with Nick Carroll and then Kelly Slater shows up and everybody like wants Kelly's attention and he knows Nick and Nick's like, yo, so they're chatting a little bit and I'm standing there and Nick, Nick's like, Hey Kelly, this is my friend, David. And Kelly looks at me and goes, yeah, I know who you are. I think he shook my hand even, but he goes, he like acknowledged that he knew who I was, you know, but yeah. just as quickly, like turned and like snubbed me and went the other way and i was like yeah. oh yeah he probably does know <laughs> <laughs> oh man so you know. it's like uh, what but again in that moment i'm like oh do i think i'm gonna become friends with kelly slater like no that my path isn't to like slowly maybe hang out with him some more my path is let's just talk about what kelly's up to with a critical eye and call a spade a spade and that's you know what i mean like we're never going to be best friends anyways it's fine yeah, I, I do think there's a fine line for you and I, though, regarding um, and sometimes I cross it and I'm and I apologize yeah, if I have, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't want to be because you you mentioned what's my path. My path isn't to be best friends with Kelly Slater and your path isn't, but our paths are to be sort of shukin like and to be um, uplifting and positive and optimistic and shining light rather than shadow. And that's hard to do uh, when you're trying to create critical assessment of whoever, because, you know, this is these guys' lives, you know, yeah. and then to sit here, uh, you know, sort of in the quarterback's Monday morning quarterback seat and just spout on and on about them. It's kind of like, you know, ripping apart an artist, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, it's these guys put their, it's like when you rip apart a film a surf movie. It's like, dude, yeah. this guy put three years into making this thing. And we just sit here in five minutes and call it bullshit. It's, and it might be bullshit, but it's still, yeah, that's what, emotionally. See, my, my thought is Kelly's got a long career. Pat's got a long career. And so if we're calling some, calling something critical today, we might be praising you next week for next event or like you did today with Pat surfing currently, you know what I mean? So uh, I, it was as not, good as I've seen Pat surf. I mean, he, that board looked just, he looked spicy on yeah. that board. Yeah. Yeah. So my point is we're not here just to be negative. We're here to call a spade a spade. And when it the chips are down, we'll call it when they're up. We'll call that too. So I'm going to try to call a spade, a queen of hearts. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Listeners are going to see right through it and they're going to question your honesty and credibility is what's going well happen. speaking of tanner Godowskis, let me let me if i may let me read something to you this is from the 1993 surfers journal article oh my gosh written by steve pesman volume three number three and i quote steve pesman the article here over the last few years the growing interest and collector activity surrounding surfboards has focused attention on the older wooden boards. Of course, a few individuals had already been into collecting them for years, 
Bob Cooper, for one, understood early on their intrinsic value and built a stunning collection back in the mid to late 60s, which he sold to John Severson at Surfer Magazine when Cooper bailed to Australia. And while I was at Surfer, I became custodian of that collection through the 70s and 80s, which helped foster in me a relatively early appreciation. And as I thought about those older surfboards, my own sense of involvement with them, I reckoned that one of the most classic of all time had to be Pat Curran's Balsa Wood Big Wave Guns, built from 1958 to 1960. As sculptures, their extreme lines and sharp edges made them the Ferraris of all surf craft. Their purpose, being designed and built to ride waves beyond big, definitely set them up on a higher level. And the aura behind Pat himself has always been something special, both as a master craftsman and as a surfer. His image was one of always waiting farther out than anyone else, sitting quietly outside on some otherworldly lineup spot, and then catching the biggest wave of the biggest set of the day. That was Pat Curran. And that what was makes his boards, what, what, excuse me, that was what his boards were for, making really radical waves from way back. Midget Farley recalled during a recent conversation with me that Curran's takeoff point was very deep and his line was a high diagonal across the face rather than down and along the base of the wave. And his guns reflected that line. Of course, if you started surfing after that period and have never seen one of his balsa guns, don't feel unusual. There's only a few of them still in existence, and they're not hanging in the surf museums. They're generally still in the hands of their original owners, not surfed anymore, but highly regarded as priceless heirlooms. And quote from Steve Pesman's article back in 93, and I bring this up, David, because that article is called the Curran, the Curran Gun Project, and um, Steve Pesman and Bob Beattle had, Pes had Pat Curran recreate six of these boards out of Balsa back in 93, and we have number two of those six in the California Gold Surf Auction. It's a gorgeous 1993 Pat Curran, also Waimea Bay elephant gun, again, recreated for the Curran Gun Project back in 93 for Pesman. And um, it's incredible that it's a, it's near mint 10 out of 10 in the condition scale. It's pristine. The pedigree is alpha, the provenance thorough and unquestionable um, photographs of this board and its creation are a part of our history now embedded in the surfers journal volume three, number three. And that's one of the many incredible boards in the California gold surf auction, which takes place March 11th through march 25th crazy what a story i mean where i i know you probably can't discuss where these things come from but where did you find that thing <laughs> i can't discuss tanner godowskis is on to me okay he's, uh, he's scouring craigslist and finding pat current balsa guns <laughs> all right um, well maybe you can reveal uh matt keckley messaged me after last week's show and he wanted to know where you got that jacket, the Steve McQueen, Gary Proper jacket from. Can you reveal that? Well, it came from Gary Proper. Right. But directly. Yeah. There's, there's one owner, the current owner now yeah. between Gary Proper and, and it's sale. In other words, Gary Proper had it forever. 
he sold it to a guy and gave him the the story and the letter of authenticity. Got it. And that guy's has the jacket now with the board and he's selling it. Got it. So he's given did he got he had the jacket and the board together. No, actually the boards yeah, the jacket and the board belong to the owner got who it. are selling this lot as one lot. It's the Hobie Gary proper model and the Steve McQueen leather jacket, which Steve gave to Gary proper. Gotcha. 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 Fascinating. Cool, man. Um curious to see what that thing do you have a starting price, starting bid for that one? Uh for which one? For the balsa gun, the Pat Kern balsa gun. Well, the pre-auction estimate, the the range that we think the board falls within, is twenty-five to forty thousand. Now we six months ago we sold one of these Pat Kern balsa guns for forty-seven thousand. So um, you know it could be a little north of forty, but we believe that it's between twenty-five thousand and forty thousand uh, dollars. These things, there's just a few of these things out there, um, yeah. and of course. It's just steeped in Pat Curran uh, mythology and mysticism, and um, and just the uh, the person that Pat was, the craftsman that he was, the surfer that he was, the aura, um, and of course, you know, father of Tom. Yeah, fascinating. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple of things. Uh, you know, what's interesting is like I pull up YouTube now. To look for i don't know what and it feeds me recommendations for surf related stuff yeah that is all very good quality like a year ago five years ago i never clicked on any of that stuff because it was just something stupid and random now yeah. it's like this is more interesting you're squirming in your chair do you need to yeah, go I, I, <laughs> bathroom break I, no it's my dog this time oh okay go I'll be right okay squirming <laughs> Holy Scott, smokes. Yes. David, talk to me. essentials. Well, God, it's cold. And you know what happens when it's cold? I grab my friggin' neat essentials, puffy jacket, the warmest jacket ever made, ever known to mankind, a jacket, frankly, that should be sent to the moon to keep uh, astronauts warm. It's so damn warm. Well, um, the, in Southern California, the main, like two hours from where you're sitting, two hours from where I'm sitting, the local mountains where you can go ski and snowboard are, is big bear. All three roads up to Big Bear were closed this week due to this storm. So if you were up in Big Bear, which we have friends who are, uh, they got stuck there. They went up for the weekend. They got stuck there. Couldn't come home to work on Monday. But the mountains were empty because nobody could get up. If you were already up there, you had access to Bear Mountain Summit and nobody on the mountains and epic snow conditions. And so this would be a great time to remind people that Need Essentials has a full roster of outerwear uh pants snowboard pants uh snowboard jackets this is the shell so i whenever i go i use the puffer that you're talking about and then put this shell on the outside because it's waterproof so if it's raining it slicks the rain off but in the snow it keeps you fully fully dry it's got pockets in all the right places so that you can keep your wallet your gloves whatever you need a little snack and um and it's super thin too. That's the other thing is it doesn't add any bulk. It's just a thin layer of pure protection. And on the other side of that equation is surf trip seasons coming up here. Um, you know, if you need a wet dry bag for your trip to mainland Mexico or to Indo or wherever you're going, 
uh, or you need some trunks, your need essentials trunks. I got mine. I just went to Florida. I brought, had my need essentials trunks with me. Uh, so there's that side of the equation too. So need essentials has you covered for uh, hot, for, for winter, for summer, uh, need essentials, usa.com. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I may have a, a papaya-sized prostate, but it's the gallon of water that I drink every day that's just flows through me like the uh, the Nile. We don't mind the interruption. Stay healthy, Scott. It's fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyways, YouTube uh, feeds me these yeah really I, incredible surf stuff nowadays, and that's honestly that's where the Tanner Godowskis thing came from too. Um, yeah, I know. No, I get the same feed and I, I see stuff and I'm like, wow, this is insanely cool. I mean, it used to be that you had to be in the surf space and know, maybe go to Surfline or something like that to like find surf quality, surf kind of related, you know, documentaries, surf videos, whatever. Now it's on YouTube of all places. But anyways, um, the no, the physics of nose writing by Lauren Hill uh, distributed by Patagonia. Have you seen this film yet? No, I haven't. Sounds fascinating. So I saw this via the Florida Surf Film Festival as a part of their jury a while ago, but it's now available on YouTube. Patagonia is promoting it and publishing it through their channel. But Lauren Hill, who's, um, um, I think she might have been from Florida originally, but I think she spent some time in San Diego, kind of a professional surfer. Uh, since relocated to Australia, married Dave Rostovich. They're living an incredible little life out there near Byron Bay, uh, has gotten into filmmaking. So she made a film called The Physics of Nose Writing. And it is actually about the phys physics of nose writing. Uh, they take kind of a scientific approach to analyzing how it came to be, but also do a little history lesson on when it was introduced and the role that it's played in surfing. 
through profiling a bunch of different surfers, uh, some really well-known surfers, some lesser known surfers, but it is really, really beautifully done. It's only about 10 minutes long, but just a phenomenal film. Uh, I love like her direction of it is incredible. And I think that she maybe has a career ahead of her in filmmaking. Cool. Well, sounds good. I'm going to check it out. Um, I will say this, that uh, I think anybody that's ever been on the nose of a longboard with a great nose ride knows that it's a special place. It's a special feeling. Yeah. It really is like walking on water. And, um, and I think that, you know, sort of to round out your perspective as a surfer, you should attempt at some point in your life to dedicate yourself to, you know, a month or two of trying to perfect a good nose ride. And um, you'll probably be hooked for life, like all yeah. of us. It's levitating, you know, it's walking on water, you said, but it's like almost feels like levitating as well. Um, they, in that piece, they talk about the nose writing was kind of uh, discovered through a factory mistake, Dale at a Dale, Dale Velzi's factory. Uh, they glassed the fin on the front of a surfboard. So there was a lot of, obviously, traditionally, surfboards have more rocker in the front, less rocker in the tail. And somebody, I guess, the laminator, fin setter, glassed a fin on the nose of the board instead of the tail of the board, but decided, let's go ahead and try to surf this. And they realized with all that tail flip that they could um, levitate on the nose of the board. So it came out of a mistake, as some of the best inventions often do. Wow, that's cool. I don't think yeah. I've heard that story in that. It's very interesting and it makes sense. Yeah. Um, another thing from the World Wide Web, well, HBO actually, um, you know, Brian Gumbel's uh, Real Sports series? Bryant. Bryant did uh, the most recent episode, February episode, features North Shore lifeguards. Oh, I didn't know that. They, they do like a 20 minute, maybe like 15 minute segment, uh, mainly talking with Dave Wassel, mm -hmm. interview a bunch of other people too, but Dave's kind of the central figure in the conversation. And uh, it was really, really good. Um, so if you have HBO or the internet version, go grab that most recent episode. It's <clears throat> I think midway at the two thirds mark of the episode. Um, but fascinating information. They also have so much footage of, they have the footage of the Cole Christensen rescue, when Cole got knocked out and was bleeding from the head and they had to pull him out of the water, they have footage and they actually talked to Cole as well about that. They talked to Mikey red. I don't know if you remember his accident. I want to say it was last year or the year before same thing. He was pulled out of the water blue and um, barely survived that. They have footage of all of it, discussing it with the people who made the rescues. Interestingly, they said that, they do about 700 rescues in a year, the North Shore lifeguards do, which is a huge number. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not surprised. Right? Yeah. One of the guys who was involved in the Cole Christensen rescue, one of the lifeguards said that immediately while Cole, like when they pull Cole out of the water, Cole's on the beach being resuscitated and another surfer goes down and gets KO'd out at pipe. So he had to rush immediately back out there and help the other surfer. And so what you realize, uh, so much of the profile is talking about how these are the elite lifeguards on the planet, you know, like this is seal team 
Is yeah. one the best SEAL team or is six the best SEAL team? I don't know. Of the Navy SEALs. Everyone killed Osama bin Laden. It's yeah. the best one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is the top. This is among all the SEAL teams. This is like the top, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so what a lot of what you kind of learn from it is just their endurance, their training, their stamina, all of that conditioning is has to be the next level because they're showing what I forget who it was that they profiled, but he had to make a rescue at Waimea. Like somebody, some kook is surfing Waimea, loses his board, is trying to swim in and he's floundering. So the lifeguard swims through that crazy shore break, gets to the surfer, pulls him in and he, the surfer refuses to swim through the shore break. And the lifeguard's like, we, this is our chance. We have to make the swim now. There's no waves like life or death. Let's go. And the guy's like, I'm not going. Lifeguard said the guy was freaking out, just would not yeah. go. Just so yeah. he's like, Oh, I guess plan B, let's swim back out into the bay. And then we'll have to send another uh, jet ski to come in and grab you and take you in somewhere else, you know. But like, this is what they're dealing with. They're putting their own lives on the line and then dealing with somebody who is honestly in a panicked state that so much so that they won't help themselves. So anyways, they end up on the beach afterwards and the lifeguard said, Hey dude, you're not allowed to surf here anymore. And guys like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't tell me where to surf. He's like, yeah, I can. I have a wife. I have two kids and I almost didn't go home to them tonight because of you. And I'm not going to come out here and do this for you again. You need to be responsible, not only for yourself, but for me and my family and not go out there again. And so, um, yeah, really interesting piece, a really yeah, you- good piece. I'm going to check it out. I, I've, I've been in and around lifeguards my entire life as, as have most surfers. And, um, you know, the, they say that the best lifeguarding is preventative lifeguarding. And, um, I know that when I worked at a lifeguard department, that's what we focused on was seeing an incident, um, in the future, you know, about to occur and going out and stopping it, you know, and the problem with that is that then you begin to infringe on people's liberty yep. and people like this surfer that you mentioned at YMA Bay is like, you can't tell me what to do. You know, uh, I get, I get to do whatever I want, even if, you know, and, and that's the struggle. And it's especially gnarly for those guys on the North shore of Oahu where they get, you know, 20 something year old dudes with a surfboard under their arm who think that they're John, John Florence and yeah. they're, they think they can just paddle out at backdoor pipe where it's one foot, you know, one foot deep. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, you see videos of this stuff on, on Instagram where the lifeguards are like, Hey man, you're, you know, do you know what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, what do you mean, bro? Do you got any wax I can borrow or what? You know, they're just idiots. And, yeah, they it's, talk- you, and it's hard to do preventative lifeguarding when you're dealing with that type of ego, a 20 year old male who's, you know, frontal cortex hasn't fully developed. And who's the best at his CrossFit gym in Iowa, you know, so right. he thinks he's the top dog, but it's like, yeah, yeah that doesn't translate. Exactly. It's, it's <clears throat> um, a real struggle for those guys on the North Shore to have to deal with that. Yeah. But those are, those are the, uh, I mean, it's, it's much unsung- easier to to roll up to a 45 year old lady and her daughter and go, Hey, you're about to enter a rip current. You can see it right there. We don't want you to swim here. Go down right in front of the tower. You can go wade there, you yeah. know, but always ask a lifeguard, you know, those people are like, sure. Thank you so much. Oh my God. I didn't realize yeah. you get a 24 year old top, you know, Iowa guy with a new wave storm. And he's like, well, I saw a 
you know, I saw this on YouTube. What do you mean? Exactly. You know, or, you know, you're dealing with some stupid ego, which is, yeah, the lifeguards, especially, I mean, lifeguards everywhere, but certainly North shore lifeguards are the unsung heroes of the surf industry or the surf, uh, culture. Biz. yeah. Surf yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, another thing, Sterling Spencer, their stab magazine is going from strength to strength with their video pieces. And they're doing a documentary on Sterling Spencer's head injury. It's called, are you serious? Comes out, I think March 2nd. So in two or three days. So if you're a premium member on stab, I'm very much looking forward to that. So go check cool. that out when it comes out, yeah. that'll come out before our next show. Um, and then I started watching make or break, believe it or not. Good for you. I know. Is it, is it good? It's excellent. Yeah. What did you learn that you can tell me that you didn't already know? Um, well, episode one mainly focuses on Kelly Slater and that historic win right before his 50th birthday last year at Pipeline when the waves yeah. were pumping. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think I learned anything new, but what I do like about this series and I remember it from season one is just getting little insights into these people's lives that I don't have otherwise. And in this case, it's Kelly's house on the North shore, like having the cameras in his house, watching him move around his house, chat with Kalani. I'm just soaking all that up. You know, I'm like, Oh, like the decor all the stuff in the background. Yeah, exactly. That stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That is kind of oven does he use completely (laughs) like he's doing dishes. He's unloading the dishwasher. I'm like, it's weird. Kelly does dishes, you know? And like, and he's got, he's got, um, metal straws in the, in the utensil part of the dishwasher. Okay. He's that reminds me. Do you remember you and I did a show like, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And I, at one point I'm like, you know, we were talking about the stuff that Kelly misses because he's on tour all the time. And his life is this transient life where he's got homes in France and people he can stay with in J Bay and like, and he's moving around the world constantly. And I said something like, you know what he doesn't get to do? He doesn't get to mow the lawn. He doesn't get to pick up the paper on Sunday morning at five in the morning. And I mentioned all these sort of silly things that the average Joe gets to do. And Kelly chimed in on my Instagram at one point and he's like, Hey, by the way, I heard, I do get to do that stuff. I do mow the lawn. I've mowed the lawn before. No way. <laughs> or so, something like that. And and it was, it was kind of cool that he was like, you know, you guys are wrong. That's so funny. Which might've been why he kind of snubbed you in Australia yeah. last year. Whatever. May have been. Uh, um, well, seeing those little things yes. like that is, you know, a real gift to be honest. And so, um, yeah, but- I agree. But I mean, it's not just the focus of the show. That's just kind of the one thing that I, well, you know, I know the storyline. I know who's going to win the contest and all that sort of stuff. So that's the same stuff that I'm looking for when I watch the PGA version of this show, which yeah. is being done by the same production company. Like, I like it when they go to the guy's house and you see sort of the team around him and how they're reacting. And it reminds me a lot of that Beatles documentary on HBO where like you're fascinated by what's happening around George and John and Paul and Ringo, like who are the guys that are trying to get hit their attention and what, you know, type of tea are they drinking and like all these little nuanced things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And seeing Kalani, like I realized through it, I don't, I don't think I've ever even heard her voice before. You know what I mean? But like hearing her and seeing her process and 
like all of that was getting to know Kalani essentially was a little interesting to me. Um, I will say only one episode in, but the editing is better. Like the way that they showcase the surfing competition itself, the editing is better and more focused on distilling. I think last year they were showing like segments of rides and I'm like, they're trying to distill the drama last year, but they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit because we need to see the complete ride, you know, and yeah. we need to see some of the rides in between the high scores to <clears throat> understand how the heat was set. So this year, I feel like they had a better understanding of the way that a heat is structured and happens and showcased more of it while still really just getting to building like building the crescendo of the drama for him getting that final wave against Baron Mamiya right but when he needed a big score with four seconds left on the clock you know so yeah. I I thought they did great with the editing the other thing is I, this is probably true for all reality shows is the confessionals where the athletes talking to the camera I think are shot after the fact and so you could see Kelly juicing the storyline a little bit you know where it's like you know, the only thing that matters to me in this world is winning this contest on, you know, the week before my birthday. It's like, well, uh, yeah, you could say that now because you know you win the event. And so, so he goes from saying that to cutting to him entering the water for the first heat of the event. And it's like, wow, they're really building this storyline because we know yeah. ultimately he wins the contest. And so it, it, little stuff like that feels like reality TV, but whatever, it's still great. Do you know, and you probably do, um, the very first year that Kelly Slater won the Pipe Masters, what year was it? 1990, maybe? I believe it was 95. I could be wrong, but I want to say it was 95 because I was, I'll tell you why in a minute, why I know that. But so 26 years between 95 and 2021, when he won his last Pipe Masters, 26 years between victories in that event that's mind-blowing it totally is well the crazy thing is or not crazy but they do discuss that exact detail in the episode just didn't commit it to just memory went past you exactly well, uh 93 yeah oh 93 wow so even f no 93 I'm sorry. was Derek Ho. i'm sorry 92 oh 92 Kelly. was kelly in two oh. in 1992 he secured podium finishes in three of his first five events his win in the that year's prestigious pipe masters in hawaii secured his first world title at the age of 20 becoming the youngest surfer ever okay 92 so god almost 30 years between pipe masters his first and his last that's amazing and of mm -hmm. course i think he has six and five or six in between there um yeah we have in the auction, we have a board that has signatures of every single Pipe Masters champion signed on this board. And in addition to that board with every single Pipe Masters champion signature is each and every Pipeline Masters poster. Wow. And so it's kind of a cool lot. You get you what's know, the board? The board was made by Randy Rarick. It's basically has like a Vans triple crown logo. It's just a cool seven, six pipe gun, you know, made in 95 or whatever, hmm. just a simple board, but it's got all the signatures of everybody, you know, Lopez, Derrico, Larry Blair, Jeff Hackman, all of them from the beginning till through 
2019 ELA. Um, the thing in that episode was a lot of early footage of Kelly. So yeah, the early pipe win, but early growing up in Florida footage too. So some of it I had seen before, some of it I had not. So yeah. that's all worth watching for sure. Cool. Oh, the other weird thing, a fly on the wall in his house, how many pills that guy takes in the morning? Kalani as if like she's his caregiver and he's like <laughs> she, comes... she, she, she allocates all the pills out on the table on the countertop in the morning it's like literally 20 pills that he's taking. radical that's pretty I radical I know I was like huh. that is wild that is wild I mean he knows what he's doing obviously but geez Louise it's a lot of pills you know um just kind of transitioning to the to the boardroom real quick because this popped into my mind is uh, the guys that were honoring Bing Copeland in the Icons of Foam. And one of the guys that they've chosen who has agreed to be a part of this as we honor Bing is the shaper in Australia, Thomas. Thomas Surfboards. Um, do you know how to pronounce his last name? Starts with a B. Is it Baxton or... Oh yeah. You familiar with this? Yeah, yeah. Bexton. B-E-X-T-O-N, right? Yeah. So Thomas yeah. Bexton's gonna fly over from Australia to be a part of this. And uh pretty cool. I'm pretty excited to to have um somebody of his caliber. I mean, he's he's kind of like uh he builds boards for world champion longboarders, you know. So he's killing he's, it. Yeah. What um who else is competing in the shape? Um, well, of course, the guys at you know, Bing Copeland is the guy who chooses these guys. So it's Thomas. It's um, he's they've chosen Wayne Rich. They've chosen um, who's a past champion. They've chosen Roger Hines. Both of those guys are going to be hard to beat. Who's a past champion? What about Calvani? Calvani's a judge. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say that'd almost be unfair, right? Yeah, you really can't have somebody that close to it. Um, who else did they got? They've got oh, the kid Josh Peterson. He's not a kid. He's 20 something that won the East coast um, board built uh, icons of foam or shape off the East coast shape off Josh yeah, Peterson. He lives in, he lives in Hawaii. And of course the defending champion, Rick rock will be there. So that's what four or five of them. And they've got some other, Oh, Hank Warner. They've chosen Hank Warner from down in San Diego. And um I'm sure they've got some other guys in mind. I'm not exactly sure who they are right now, but epic. I was pretty excited to hear that Thomas. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, it's going to be a hard shape off. Like three of Bing surfboards are going to be difficult. Yeah. You know, that it's going to be fun, fun to watch yeah. for sure. Very cool. Is that in October? Yeah. October 7th and 8th. Perfect. Yeah. I won't get married this year at that time. So I'll be there. Oh, good. Yeah. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, man. Speaking of uh, the 8th, March 8th is when the Portugal Pro, the Rip Curl Pro Portugal, the Mio. What is Mio? I think it's a Mayo, Mio. Tele, telecommunications company, maybe. The Mayo Rip Curl Pro in Portugal starts March 8th, which is, I want to say, like nine days from today. Yep. <clears throat> so I guess that's something to look. Actually, it says seven days, 20, so eight days from now. We'll, we will discuss it next week's show, make predictions and picks. We'll have the oh, forecast yeah. by then. For sure. I mean, my survival pick that I'm no longer allowed to make is uh, Idolo. 
Okay. So if you want to know who's going to lose before the round of 32, go with me. <laughs> All right. Round. Fair enough. Or in the well, round of 32. <clears throat> do you have any Dukes or Kooks? I don't know. All right. Well, look, we've had a great show. We've said a lot, David. Uh, until next time, adios and aloha. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.